Well, let me start with a divisive question. Are you a digital time reader? You know, numbers on a screen. Or are you an analog time reader? You know, reading off a, a clock face, a watch face. Now, I have to confess, as I ask myself that question, I'm both. In the middle of the night, when I blearily come to, as older men are prone to do from time to time, I prefer to see the numbers. Just something to give me an instant snapshot of where I am at that moment. So I can soon get back to sleep. But during the day, I far prefer a clock face. I can read it more quickly, I think instinctively. And I like the sense it gives me of movement and progress. And I see schools are now having to teach both methods. Back in a previous millennium, we had teachers asking us about what time it was when the big hand was on three and the little hand was on seven, which is hardly the same complexity to ask as to what 1915 hours means. You see, understanding the passage of time shapes everything we do. On a Sunday, I know we're desperate to be in our seats for a church service at least five minutes before the service begins. Aren't we? And if we're catching a plane or a train or a bus or a tram, we'll be conscious of what time it is. And even the longer time spans are brought to our attention every year with birthday wishes, uh, especially as special birthday markers come by. And in our passage this evening, Luke deliberately puts together a number of incidents that are time-related. Now, in the first episode, uh, there in chapter 12 from verses 54 to 59, Jesus asks the crowd following him, how is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? In the second episode, there in chapter 13, verses 1 to 9, it begins by talking about at that time, and then Jesus explains an answer with reference to a tree that had been fruitless, and we're given time-specific ideas. Been fruitless for three years, but is then given another year before it could be cut down. In the third episode, that's chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, Jesus heals a woman who has been crippled, and again, Luke gives us the precise times. She'd been crippled for 18 long years, he says, on the Sabbath day. And in the final episode that we read, that's verses 18 to 21 of chapter 13, Jesus emphasizes the certain but gradual. There is a time-related sense to this, the gradual growth of God's kingdom. So Luke wants us to notice that the passage of time is significant in the teaching of Jesus. It had implications for his followers then, and it has applications for us today. So let's take each episode in turn. That first uh, 
incident uh, there in chapter 12, verses 54 to 59, I'm calling a time for discernment. A time for discernment. You see, the crowds had been gathering round Jesus. Chapter 11, verse 29, as the crowds increased. Chapter 12, verse 1, a crowd of many thousands had gathered. Chapter 12, verse 54, he said to the crowd. You see, there was something about Jesus that demanded attention. And little wonder the numbers were growing. They saw the miracles. Sick were being healed. And they were being fed for free. The trouble was, the crowd wasn't putting two and two together. They weren't thinking clearly. They weren't coming to the obvious conclusion that this Jesus was none other than their promised Messiah. They could think clearly in other areas of life. They could inter interpret weather patterns, but not this. So little wonder, Jesus says to them in verse 54, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? And then by going on to use the illustration of a lawsuit, Jesus makes clear that they would only have themselves to blame when called to account in the light of such overwhelming evidence. And although we might look back and criticize the crowd then for hypocritically ignoring the obvious signs, the reality is that now, in our supposedly sophisticated and rational age, millions upon millions either ignore the greatest character that has ever walked in the pages of human history, or they will pretend that they can't come to a conclusion about his life and his death and his resurrection. It's remarkable, really. In an age where death still terrorizes men and women, omitting none from its terrible progress, so few will stop to think about the most remarkable event ever. A dead man came back to life, conquering death and offering life to all who would follow him. You see, Luke wants us to understand that this is a time for us to think. A time to look at the evidence. A time for us to discern whether we be in a crowd 2,000 years ago looking for food and thrills, or if we, even if we're in the unthinking mob of today. A time for discernment, but then he moves on to talk about, secondly, a time for action. It's there in the first nine verses of chapter 13. A time for action. For thinking alone, if it doesn't lead to a response, is not enough. So Luke includes for us next the story of Jesus dealing with the confused thinking surrounding suffering and death. He raises two tragic events, the killing of some nationalist zealots in Jerusalem and the death of 18 individuals crushed to death when a tower collapsed on them. And Jesus faced head on the popular thinking that was around then and is still around now that you get what you deserve. You know, it was... The crowd thought it was, it was karma. If 
I deserved it. I must have deserved it. It was their comeuppance. Nothing of the sort, responded Jesus. You're all as deserving of death as each one of them. So the right response is not to imagine that we should try harder to be good and therefore avoid difficulty. But to repent while we have the opportunity. To get right with God while we have the opportunity. As Jesus said, unless you repent, you too will all perish. And to underline this call for immediate action, Jesus goes on to tell a parable about a a fig tree that hadn't produced fruit for over three years. And the owner says to the gardener, cut it down. But the gardener asks for another year before the axe should be applied. Now, the immediate application of that story was clearly understood to relate to the dead religious system that had grown up around the Jewish nation. For all its cultivation by God, it wasn't spiritually fruitful. As we've just noticed, they didn't even recognize that their own Messiah was walking amongst them. But the wider implication impacts us today. My friends, before we perish, we must repent. We must get right with God. We must act while we can. We can't assume that things will continue to go on as they are. That we have plenty of time to make up our mind. No, the clear implication here is act now. This is what Jesus is saying. Act now. Act before it's too late. Before time slips away from you. Just ask uh, the older ones here. They know how quickly time passes by. And those younger shouldn't assume that there's no urgency for them. Time to act. It's time to repent of our sins. It's time to put our trust unreservedly in Jesus Christ. See, it's a time for action. But let's move on to the third incident found there in verses 10 to 17. I've called this a time for freedom, a time for freedom. You see, having just described the dead Jewish religious system that prevailed at that time, Luke goes on to illustrate it through a remarkable incident. See Jesus' teaching in a synagogue, and he calls forward a woman who's been crippled for 18 years, and he heals her. She remarkably straightens up and begins praising God. And even more remarkably, the synagogue leader criticizes Jesus for doing this on the Sabbath. He's so preoccupied with their man-made rules that he can't see the wonder of what's just taken place. Little wonder Jesus leveled against those critics the same accusation that he'd used against those he'd spoken about at the end of chapter 12. You hypocrites! You hypocrites! But we're told that those there who could see were delighted with the wonderful things he was doing. Now, do you see? Do you see the progression that Luke is showing us? Do you see why he has constructed this in this particular way? There is movement here, very clear movement. You see, as we've noticed, first of all, there's a time for discernment to see who Jesus really is. 
And then when you've done that, there comes a time for action, a time to repent and get right with God and come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And when we've done that, when we've come in that way, then it's a time for freedom. For Christ's work is to deliver us into freedom. As we see in that story, it's to deliver us from spiritual oppression. Because Luke tells us that was the cause of the woman's problems there in verse 11. He's come to deliver us from religious bondage. For that's what dead religion produces. He's come to deliver us from physical decay for Her healing was a sign of how God's people will be delivered from all the effects of sin in the glory to come. But having been saved, having been delivered into the freedom that only Christ can bring, Luke reminds us of God's timing in his rule over our lives and over all creation. So the final incident there in verses 18 to 21, I've called a time for patience. A time for patience. For the question inevitably arises, well, what will this look like if if we see Jesus for who he is, if we follow him with all our hearts, if we enter into that freedom that he provides, sins forgiven, shame dealt with, guilt removed, if we live under his lordship, What's going to be the outcome? It certainly was in the mind of Christ's disciples after the resurrection. Luke goes on to record this in Acts 1 verse 6. Then they gathered around him, that is the the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, it's not an unsurprising assumption that the work of Jesus Christ would immediately make radical changes. You see, some assume that Roman rule, for they were an occupied country, that Roman rule would be overturned. Some assume that some form of messianic kingdom would immediately emerge. Some assume their lives would be immediately delivered from sin and from sickness. But the picture Jesus gives us through these parables is a description of the steady, of the certain work that he is doing. You see, he gives the parable of the mustard seed, and just as an insignificant mustard seed really was just like an seemingly insignificant carpenter's son from one of the outlying Roman provinces. He's referring to himself. And just as a, a bit of yeast working its way through a massive batch of dough. Jesus is comparing that to the message of grace that then permeates sin-sick societies. You'll know how the story goes. Jesus gathers just a few followers and soon is executed on a Roman cross. It seems to be all over. It seems that the hopes have been smashed. Yet he rises from the dead and within days shoots of new life are going out into the whole region and his kingdom keeps growing and growing and today has spread into all the corners of the earth. That mustard seed, 
back carpenter's son. That's why Jesus says it's like a, a tree with birds perched in its branches. Actually, he's making a reference here to a huge tree that's mentioned back in uh, Daniel chapter 4. His original uh, hearers would have got it, where birds are a picture of all the nations within that kingdom. And that's a picture of how Christ's kingdom was going to grow around the globe, embracing all ethnic, embracing all language groups on the face of this planet. And you know what? It's even made it this far. Even here to Scotland, the good news of Jesus Christ has kept growing and liberating men and women, boys and girls, being saved, being rescued by his sovereign work. The kingdom keeps growing. I've said it before, but it's probable that today more people will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ than on any other day in human history. Now, we may not see it here in the secular West as fast as we would like at this time. And you may not sense Christ's kingdom growing in your heart as fast as you want. But Christ says to us, be patient. The harvest is growing. The Spirit is doing his work. We live in the age of the now, but not yet. You see, there is a time for discernment, to see who Jesus really is. There's a time for action, to repent now while we have the chance, to get right with God. And there's a time for freedom as we enter into all that Christ has done for us. Of all the people on the face of this planet who know true freedom and true joy, there are none like the followers of Jesus Christ. We, we are the folks who know that freedom and joy. And there's a time for patience. Jesus is at work in his world and in his people. And we keep looking forward to when it will all be perfectly fulfilled, when the kingdom will be seen and experienced in all its fullness and glory, when Christ comes again. Until then, we are called to remember the past, to work in the present, and to anticipate the future. And actually these truths that are here contained in these four incidents in Luke's gospel are also all pictured for us in communion, which we are going to take in a moment or two. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you again for the genius with which the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the word. We thank you for Luke and his historical method. We thank you for the absolute relevance and accuracy of all that is written. Father, help us to see. Thank you for the progression that we see in these stories. And we do pray that each one of us here would recognize Jesus for who he is, be willing to uh, look at the signs and look at the evidence rather than um, bury our heads in the sand. Father, have mercy. Enable us to see Jesus for who he is. And, and Father, having done that, help us to act on that. May we be those who repent of our sins. Father, reveal to us how far short we have fallen of your glory. 
and help us to see that in the work of Jesus Christ, it is possible for us to be forgiven and to be made clean and to be born again and to have a new start. And Father, we thank you that for the freedom that you bring for each one of us who've come to you in that way. Thank you for the way you've transformed our lives. And Father, keep us patient and keep us working and keep us looking for your glory, we pray. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing before we do come to a time of communion. There is a higher throne. Let's stand.
to immediately come to a time of communion as we continue in our, our corporate worship. And, and could we say this? This is a family meal. If you're a member of the family, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then join us. This is family meal for all God's people. But if as yet you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if as yet you do not trust in him, we would... We don't want you to be a hypocrite. Jesus criticized hypocrites. We don't want you to be a hypocrite. And so we would just say, pass these things by. We're so glad you're here. We're delighted you're here. Uh, but think about what they picture uh, for us. Uh, the bread, which speaks to us of Christ's broken body, of that communion wine, which uh, pictures his blood poured out for us, that violent death that he suffered for us there on Calvary's cross bearing in himself the punishment, the hell, the separation that folk like us deserve. Let me read some verses from 1 Corinthians 11. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So if you're in good fellowship with the Lord and you're in good fellowship with one another, then this is for you. And even if you uh, are a believer here and you just feel so overwhelmed by your sin and failure, this communion meal is not dependent on how you feel. It's all about what he has done. And if your hope is resting in him, then eat it. Share with us. For Alcoholics Anonymous, you begin by speaking and saying, Hi, I'm Andy, I'm an alcoholic. And you recognize in the group, and everyone says, Yes. And here, we don't necessarily say that we are alcoholics, but we do say this, we are sinners. Hi, I'm Andy, I'm a sinner, I'm a failure, and I'm a rebel. That is what classifies us and characterizes us, but we are those who have found forgiveness and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he, Paul writes, look back to the cross. Look around at responses and relationships, he says. And look forward, because this happens until he comes. Let me pray. Father, as we come to eat bread and drink wine, we do pray that you would uh, give us true understanding in our hearts. Sovereign God, that we would be aware of what Jesus has done for us, that we would be humble before him, and that with great joy and rejoicing, we would be celebrating for the forgiveness that is ours now because of that work on Calvary's cross. So Lord, give us that, that sense, that balance of the awareness of our sin, but the absolute delight that we have such a Savior. Help us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, the bread's going to be distributed. When it comes around to you, if you're taking it, then please take and please eat the bread as you said that um, in love the the bread is uh, gluten-free if you uh, struggle in that area and also just to say there are issues uh, that you have with alcohol dependency we we have communion and there are chapters that deal with as well so feel free to join us so we're going to take the cup now and as we do so rather than drink immediately would you just retain it so that we can drink together and that's with our faith
Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. sometimes call communion the family table and it's appropriate to mention at this time again those in particular need of our prayers. Uh, Please do go on remembering Annette of Greaves and Sarah Patterson. Um, Pray particularly for Kevin Boyce uh, as he goes on receiving treatment. For Derek Newcomb and George Wilson and Stuart McLeod. And uh, also as we weep with those that weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And this coming Tuesday afternoon, Dan and Iris are getting married. And uh, they say if you'd love to come to their service, they, they'd be more than happy. Uh, it's a two o'clock service, but please be in your seats, not five minutes before as you would for church, but 15 minutes before uh, for their wedding on Tuesday afternoon. And we wish them uh, all the best and God's richest blessing on their life together.